Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coaches Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul O'Need, and today I have the privilege of sitting down with a buddy of mine, Austin Stout. Austin is a coach, mentor, educator. He's actually my wife, Olivia's coach for wellness bodybuilding and uh, someone who I've gotten to know a little bit over the last couple of years and just watching him grow and, and impact the industry has been awesome to see. So I'm grateful to have him on the podcast. Austin, welcome. Thanks for having me, dude. Are we buddies? We're buddies now. Okay, cool. We're, we're past buddies. acquaintances. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't have your phone number though. So, you know, we're not at that stage yet. So, I've so, heard no few, one has. so few people have my phone number. <laughs> well, and you know what? Uh, given your the schedule that you keep, I can see why. But uh, you got to sure. set those boundaries. Yeah, you have to. And and you actually mentioned this in the post, uh, post the other day, which was a very pertinent point in that organizing your communication is very important for people, for coaches. So, yeah, you know, you're way ahead of me there. Yeah. I've already been doing that. (laughs) 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 Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I, my clients know to communicate with me through WhatsApp um, and they don't text me and they know that actually email is probably faster to get a hold of me. So fair enough. We're at our computers all day. So I'm always, my email is always open. For sure. I understand. I wanted to start this conversation. <laughs> on, you know, I mentioned it before we before we hopped on and there's really like we could go in X, into X's and O's, which I know you can talk about all day. But what I want to know, you have become the guy in the functional health space, especially when it comes to bodybuilding. But you've gotten there through a relatively unconventional path. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit to how you got to where you are today being a coach, being a mentor, being an educator, and, you know, what that pathway was. Yeah, so, you know, I think the first thing is to, like, add some context points because, for one, I've been coaching a long time. So, you know, I've noticed I've been around long enough now. And Granted, there's people that have been around longer than me, but I'm definitely on – I'm a veteran, if you will. So – I think it's very important to point out that there's a lot of coaches here in the space now that didn't know about me 10 years ago or 12 years ago or longer. And there's also a lot of coaches that were around or, well, not a lot. There were some coaches around when I started that are no longer here anymore. So like the amount of people that have actually known me from start to finish are very, very few. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things and we have such a short attention spans and remember so few things about people that, a lot of people don't know, like, all right, all this stuff really led up to to now. That overnight right? sensation happened 10 years in the making. Yeah, or they'll say, you've really, you know, you're really focusing on such and such topic or this and that. I'm like, dude, I've been doing that for yeah. you know, the last decade. Yeah. <laughs> but with that being said, yeah, I started, I started really diving into the coaching space really early. Um I started bodybuilding competitively as a teenager. Okay. So I was that guy who senior year of high school, I was prepping for my starting my prep for my first show. And I was bringing all my like weighed food to my lunch table with my, <laughs> you know, group of friends or whatever. Right. Um, and I got into the personal training space one-on-one after right after graduating when I was going to college. Um, and, there was kind of this gap 
in this need for nutrition and things. And I was seeing this. And at the time, this was 2000, 2009. And I believe Instagram was like 2010 ish. So there was no IG. Yeah. Um, I did have a Facebook account, I think. Uh, and I was on the forums. Yeah. Right? yeah. So we're yep. dating, we're dating it. Um, and I kind of started organically just in the sense that these people were like, Hey, I know that you bodybuild. And I would like for you to help me with my nutrition because you're already personal training me. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Didn't think anything of it. Didn't really charge anything for it at first. It was like, I can retain my clients better as a broke 18, 19 year old kid. If I just help them more. Yep. And so I did. And, and that kind of led into people wanting to pay me. And then that kind of led into people basically wanting that service um, separately from in-person training. I'm like, okay, this is the online space. I've seen some people do this on the internet. Like I know there's a few people that are doing it at the time. And I didn't really, I didn't really realize that that was going to be a viable career path at that time. If I'm being completely honest. No, so I actually anyone did back then. No, hundred percent. And it's funny because uh, about a week or two ago, we were cleaning some stuff out in the house and I found this booklet from when I graduated high school and it talked about the things that I wanted to do. You know, I want to go to college for blah, blah, blah. And I listed in there nutrition science and nutrition, basically like nutrition dietetics and all this stuff. And, but I also put in there that I didn't know if that would be a viable career path because (laughs) I didn't know if there was, if there was enough need for it. I literally wrote this in this booklet that I had at graduation Right. And I didn't even know that because I actually just found this the other day. Yeah, but yeah. it's funny that I did. So, you know, um, from there, it was really it was really a pretty organic process in the sense that I did connect with some other people that were doing it at the time. And the only thing that I knew as far as business and as far as attracting clients was just providing value of some kind. I knew that I knew that. I need to provide value. And if I provide value, people will want to work with me. And I have some business owners in my family. My dad owns a business. My grandfather owned a business. I had these other things. I knew like customer service, you know, taking care of people, yada, yada, yada. And um, I just started posting. Okay. So I was helping the clients that I had. And there was some word of mouth, like locally within the gym community. Hey, Austin can help you with your nutrition you know, so on and so forth. So I was kind of doing that. I probably was floating like a 10 client, you know, maybe like a 10 client roster at the time, maybe five, maybe five up once in a while, I'd be up a little bit. Right. And, um, I had, I was still personal training at the gym. So those were my two like sources of income. And about 2012, that was around 2009 started around 2012. I took the full-time leap into coaching. I was 12 or 13. It was around there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I worked with another team at the time. So there was like a group of us. There was about three of us on the team and we were, so this was like cutting edge at the time, right? Are any of them still coaching? Yes. I think all of them. Oh, okay. They're people that you would, people that you would know. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So the, the very first, the very first team that I started on, actually Canadian guys, Jason Tremblay. I think he's a Canadian guy. He's like a strength coach. I think I don't know if he's still around. They do the strength guys, mostly program uh, powerlifting programming. Okay. Um, 
Matt Jansen. The TSG? Yeah, TSG. Oh, yeah, I know them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was Matt Jansen. Are yeah, you serious? We are on the same team. It's dead serious. People don't know this stuff. People don't know this stuff. Dude, um, cutting edge. Uh, Nick Tong, who's okay. still around. Okay. So that was – so actually we splintered off. Like what happened is we were there for a little bit. We splintered off into something called um, – oh, wow, it's blanking me. Innovate, Innovate Elite Performance. We splintered off. Okay. So we splintered off. We had a team – involving those guys and a couple more people. And then there was some bad like business stuff that happened there. And so eventually that splintered. And around 2014, that was all of those things were really just dissolved and we were all fully like, you know, on our own. On your own. And we were really all on our own anyhow. It's just we were kind of operating under this umbrella, right? Um but by that time, you know, by that time I was I was definitely, you know, I was full on coaching. I really hadn't been doing any personal training in the gym since about 2011 or 12. Mm -hmm. So that was really my only source of income. Um, Broke, pretty broke. Back when apartments cost like $500 a month, you know, you know, $600 a month, right? I had a roommate. The good old days. Yeah, I had a roommate at the time who was a bodybuilder. So he was one of the first people that I ever prepped was actually my roommate. Okay. And I prepped him and he won, you know, he ends up winning this local show. And then I prepped him for like Masters Nationals. He had missed his pro card by, he got like second at Masters Nationals a couple years later. He's like one of my OG guys. Um, and kind of branched out, prepping more people, so on and so forth. Around this time, I'm having my own, a lot of my own functional health issues. Okay. So I had competed in 2009, 2010. 2011, 2012, you see where that's going. Yeah. Right. Hormones are tanks. You know, I'm trying to like build this business. I'm still in school, mind you. I'm still going, I might have a full-time course load and a, a business and, you know, all this stuff. And I was, 2012, I was in a really bad spot, dude. I I was full, my depression I'd struggled with for a really long period of time was really just like, at its peak to the point where, you know, I didn't know how I was going to get up and down my stairs. I'm just like, I can't will myself to walk right now, you know? So I basically would go to the gym, which my apartment was right behind the gym. So I would walk around, I would go to the gym, train, come back, do online stuff, do my school stuff, go to the grocery store that was across the street. And I didn't go anywhere else for about a year. I didn't see family. I didn't see friends. I didn't do anything. And a lot of people I know, but okay. It was, it was dark. It was a, it was a really dark period of time. Now I, you know, I'm having all these functional health issues, gastrointestinal issues. My hormones are obviously tanked, yada, yada. I did the, I did a show summer of 2012 and I'm like, I'm going to get blood work done. I knew what blood work was. I'd been doing some blood work with people. I'd had it done a couple years ago, but I hadn't had any done recently. Got it done. Testosterone levels are obviously like they were like 150 nanograms, you know, at 21 years old. Okay. So like nothing. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Like, OK, well, I know I just competed. All those things are impacting my levels, of course. So I like I'll give it some time. Never came up. I mean, I couldn't. I'm like training less, eating more, getting fatter, doing all this stuff. So eventually someone referred me to Dr. Eric Serrano here in Columbus. 
So I go to Eric, I go to my family doctor. He won't touch it. He's like, you're no, you're taking steroids, whatever. I'm like, well, no, I'm not. I'm like 150 pounds. And I literally just did these natural bodybuilding shows. I, I clearly just passed drug tests, you know, all this right. stuff. And, but whatever. So I go, I get a referral. I go to Eric. He starts helping me. And that kind of pushed me another step forward into more explorative testing. Um, that's when I started getting into like learning more, learning a lot more about thyroid and sex hormones and things like that. And of course, as soon as, and you know how it is, when you learn something new, all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere around you. I'm literally going right, right now. Yes. Right. As soon as you, and, and I see this every day in mentorship, like people come in and they don't realize all the problems that they're facing until they don't know what they don't know. Right. Yeah. So as soon as I started learning it, I'm like, oh, like my clients have this stuff. Like this stuff is going on right now. And every, and it was like every person that came in, I would see something. Mm -hmm. And so I understood it enough to help, but then, you know, certain things I couldn't figure out. So I'm like, all right, well, there's more, I've got to learn more. I need to figure this out. Um, all the while I'm getting my hormones fixed. I hadn't, I didn't compete again until 2014. I took like a year, you know, like a year or so off there in between, come back, have more issues. I graduated school, but my business is going up and I'm like really cranking right yep. now. Now I go back to Eric again. Eric's like, I want you to take this test. It's called a Dutch test. And it's brand new. It's like the, the reps had just come in and given the little pamphlet. Right. Okay. And I'm pretty sure this was the OG original Dutch test, like right when it come out. So I take this thing. My quarter, like, I don't have any cortisol, right? I'm like, I don't have any dopamine, like all these. So, of course, like I can use this on my clients. I see all of these, all of these patterns and trends and things in my, my clientele. Right. So I start applying that testing to my clients and I start applying all those things to my clients. And then it kept, it really just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm, I know how to use these GI map tests and I know how to use these Dutch tests and all this stuff. And Keep in mind at the time, 2015, there really wasn't very many people using G Dutch tests. And the, there was like almost nobody in the bodybuilding space using them that I'm no. aware of. No. They were in the functional space. Like there was the holistic, that you know, some holistic space and there were some people dabbling with them. But I basically would be get like laughed out of these Facebook groups and shit because of some of the stuff that I was trying to talk about. So I eventually just kind of, I eventually like stopped posting on the forums. I stopped posting in the groups. I'm like, I'm just going to dedicate everything to my own page. Right. And I'm going to dedicate all my time to just continuing to post this content on my pages. And if people don't like it, you know, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's there. Right. So I kept, I kept just putting it out, putting it out. And of course, over time, more people want to, you know, seek my help um, to help you know, help with their labs and help with their GI maps and whatever it may be. And what I found was I got to a point where I knew enough. I knew enough to help almost everyone, but I also knew enough to drive myself kind of crazy because I'm like, there's, there's a lot going on in this space with other, with these other coaches. That's really kind of like pissing me off right now, mm -hmm. you know? 
I'm seeing it's it's irritating to me because I just ended up being the cleanup guy. I was just the cleanup guy. And 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 it was irritating because I really, I really wasn't getting the notoriety that I felt I deserved for the skill set that I had that at the time not many other people were doing it. Right. Right. And I was so I was frustrated. I was really frustrated at the time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm doing fine. I'm making I'm making a good amount of money for a 25, 26 year old guy. So really I shouldn't be upset about that, but I still felt like I was like kind of getting pushed under the rug a little bit, you know? Yeah. And so I, I eventually had some people ask me, start asking me about helping them with their own coaching. And this was around 2017. And I thought, that's when it clicked to me. I was like, okay, people do value what I have to say. Right. It's just that it's new and anything that's new is going to be criticized until it's not new anymore. Right. And I kind of like, okay, I'll help. I don't have content. I don't have an itinerary. I don't have shit. I'm like, right. oh, but I'll do my best. And I just started building out some, you know, building out some information doing calls I was charging the exact same money that I was charging for my coaching. I'm like, I'm just going to charge you a monthly fee. I don't really know what to charge. I don't really know anyone that's doing this. Same thing I did when I started for sure. Right. So like we got to, I got to the point where I had about five or 10 people. I'm like, all right, well, I need to raise my prices here clearly because like I'm getting inquiries from this and keep in mind, I had not advertised my mentorship at all. Zero at that time. Around 18 or 19, I did officially put out a, hey, I am offering this service. And it was like a formal announcement and, you know, kind of went on at that time. I was also starting to dabble in the, hey, I'm going to teach some online classes via Zoom and like do all this stuff, right? (laughs) Hey, I'm speaking at, I had, you know, hosting these like seminars and going to these events and speaking. So it was building, it was building in momentum and it was building in notoriety. And, but even then I still didn't feel like, I still didn't feel like I was appreciated quite as much as I thought I should have been. And it took me, it really took me until probably honestly about two years ago after coaching for almost 13 years where I was finally like, this is it. Like I'm here and I am, I am in authority. Yeah. And it's been, and I think that was a, that was a really monumental step for me because it allowed me to, it allowed me to talk and um, really just conduct myself in a way that was even more conducive to my business. It allowed me to just, it allowed me to see that I could be an authority, but also still be the personable, relatable guy yeah. that I was prior because that was always kind of a fear of mine. Right. I think it's a fear of, I mean, it's definitely a fear of mine because I know something that I'm very keenly aware of is my perception, the perception that other people have of me before I open my mouth. And part of that is a bit of a meme because I'm covered in tattoos. I usually have a bitch face on. It's somewhat intimidating to be around me for most people, most most average people. And so something that I'm keenly aware of all the time is I know that if they have that perception of me, I need to make sure that when I open my mouth, that's gone. And it's really interesting that 
number one, your journey of education came through your own experience and that kind of fed it forward. But also I'm curious to know what was, what was that trigger for you where you felt like I've made it like, yeah, you had already been speaking, you had already been coaching and mentoring. Like, was there a specific event or a catalyst to like you saying, Hey, I'm here. I think a lot of it, I really think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I, I was getting, I was getting notoriety and I was being, people were seeking me out that were, that I considered successful yes. in the coaching space. Mm -hmm. I think that's really what it was. I think there was, and, and to be completely honest, there's people making way more money than me that were seeking me out for my help. Yeah. Yeah. And there are people that had a lot more clients than me that were seeking me out for my help. And I'm like, okay. So there's two levels to that. Cause one, one, you're like, well, why am like, why am I not? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why am I not there? But two, you're like, okay, well, I can get there. That is, I'm I'm capable of getting there. It's really just, it was really just a matter of believing in myself that I could do it. And that unlocks so many different, it unlocks so many different blocks, you know, unlocks like, okay, changes your whole perception of your value, mm -hmm. changes the whole perception of like, here's how I should structure my, my pricing and like all my stuff. And it was never, and I think one of the, you know, one of the things that I'm very grateful for is through all that, I never, I never thought about getting lazy no. because I never thought about getting lazy because I had made a certain level. I never banked on that. I always knew that this is what got me here. There are things I need to change. There are structurally things I need to change in business in terms of my organization, in terms of like my pricing and all this stuff. But I made it here because of these things. This is why people like me. I need to retain these values. And because ultimately you're going to attract and this is something I preach to the coaches I work with all the time. Like you need to make sure that you are authentic in the sense that you are always going to attract what you put out. Like yep. you can't get upset that you're getting all these clients that you don't resonate with when you're just being fake online because you're trying to just emulate someone else. That's not you. That positioning within the market is so, so important. And I think it comes down to a little bit of like, a little bit of your integrity and something that I, I know for a fact, I will never be a good influencer because I will never sacrifice my integrity for eyes. And I think, I think, you know, if anyone goes, and this is a point that I wanted to bring up about, you know, you mentioned you started putting out content. Like if you go to your YouTube channel, hmm. it is the worst production value of any YouTube channel. Yeah, but I don't put any effort into that. So, but that's what I mean. It. You just put it there and, there's so much value to just doing the thing and not trying to make it perfect, not trying to manicure, <clears throat> but just putting it out there and seeing if it resonates and making sure that it's authentic to you, your message and the values that you hold. So many people sacrifice their ethics for eyes. Then they position themselves in the market as somebody who's accepting anyone and everyone as a client and then you're stuck with a business that has a constant churn rate of people that you don't want coming in and out. And you're unable to scale because you just have to constantly be acquiring clients because the clients you actually want aren't looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, 
so maybe I think that I think the problem, and and I'm sure you see this because of especially in the line of work that you're in, is that I think people do a lot of things in the wrong order in terms of things they prioritize in the wrong order. And that's just, and I get it. Like, because if I were new and I were coming into this space for one, it would be very confusing Yes, and it would be very overwhelming. So I think that I'm very fortunate that when I started, no one gave a shit about your production value. Like everything was typed in a forum. Yeah. Dude, it was like, you know, it didn't, none of that mattered. So does it matter now? Yes, it does matter now. And, but I also think that, I also think that you, you have to, it's like a pie chart. You know what I mean? Like we can't just allocate like this 80% of this pie chart to this one thing if there's not value there. Right. Yeah, the the order of operations, I think, is something that I, I would love to to get your opinion on because I see it all the time. People get into the industry, they're like, I want to scale. I'm like, what are you going to scale? You don't have a thing. <laughs> right. What are you scaling? <laughs> what are you scaling? Um, or you know, I want to I want to have 30 people on my roster. It's like, cool, how many, how many hours do you spend per client per month? <clears throat> like six hours. I'm like, so you want to spend six hours times 30 clients. That's going to be 180 hours a month of work and you're charging a hundred dollars. Should I make three grand to work 180 hours a month? And they're like, well, yeah, isn't that online coaching? We until order of operations, but in your, in your path, you started being value driven. So from the beginning, you were focused on providing value to the people that you were serving the number of people you were serving slowly crept up. And I feel like that's the piece that's missing. It's like, let's just focus on being good at our fucking jobs. Yep. And it was even from the start, I I have been a referral-based business from the beginning. Same. Referral-based. And do I get a lot? I, I definitely get a lot of increase from social media now. Yeah. But I'm still a referral-based business. I'm still... Referral based, and when I say referral based, it's not like, it's not like, uh, you know, my client that follows me actively refers her other social media friend. I get referred people that have never heard of me that are like way out here. Like that's what I envision referral based business, right? Yeah. It's I'm really pulling from. It's like I'm really pulling from all over. I think a really big, a really big uh, win for me this year. I had posted about this recently was I do a lot of consultations now. So I do a lot of consultations on, you know, lab work and GI maps and like sorting through issues, a lot of one-off stuff too. Yep. Right. And I had went at the end of the year, I'm like, just for fun, I went back and I looked and I had done consultations in like 13 or 15 countries or something like that. And cool. two of them I had translators for. Oh shit. They did not speak. One of them, was for uh, this guy's dad. He had to translate for his father. The other one, the other one was he literally had like Google. He could speak a little English, but he had you know Google Translate up, and I had to speak like really slowly during it and like you know articulate myself. And he had to you know translating everything on the screen. Oh, and man. where I'm, you know, I'm I'm like having to figure out 
you know, like what manufacturers can they order supplements from and like, you know, do all this stuff. Um, and when I started getting these referrals from, you know, Poland and Dubai and South Africa and like, you know, not just England or Canada, you know what I mean? They were just all over the place. I think that was a big, you know, that was a big thing for me. And, and people don't, you know, another thing people don't realize is that you're always, you're always planting seeds. Like there's always long-term plays. Nothing, everything you do today is not really going to show any result until next year or later this year or six months from now or a month from now. You just say six. I, I For me, it's like six to 10 months. And sure. I love these. The, everything that we do is content and every interaction that we have is an opportunity for that referral. Right. Right. So it's, it's all built and it's, it's all building. I think that, you know, when I saw those things, like, so when I saw the statistics this year, I'm like, okay, I did these, how many consultations did I do last year? All right. I made more on consults this year. I did more of them, but, but my, my actual thought process was there are people talking about me all over the place in all of these different countries that has to result in something. Yeah. Right. Not right now, but, Definitely 2024 should look different than 2023. You went over to Europe and did an in-person seminar this past year, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I went to, flew into Amsterdam. So it was like close to Amsterdam. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. I mean, the concept that like, so for me, the referral-based business is the key because if you're getting referrals, it means that you're actually helping people. It means yeah. that you're actually making an impact on them. And if you're not getting referrals, you need to really, that's like the number one thing that you need to look in the mirror. It's like, you're the reason. And you're and referrals should come by people being so stoked about your product that they feel in like, they feel that they must tell everybody else. Right. Yeah. You got to You got to ask for them periodically. Be like, Hey guys, just let you know, I do accept referrals. I think it'd be great. Sure. But in general, that it's just a matter of fact. It just should be happening. Yeah. And you, and <clears throat> I I talked to a, I did a consultation with a coach the other day about, uh, it was just a one-off thing, you know, brand new coach. Mm-hmm. And they just, they essentially just wanted to pick my brain for an hour. I'm like, okay, let's talk. I want to know, like, I want to know everything about you and what your intentions are, your demographic, you know, all this stuff. And they had this this marketing experience and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? These things are, these things are great. I can see how this will serve you X, Y, Z. We kind of talked about that, but you know, also I'm like, all right, you're, you're funneling, you're funneling people into a business that is not operational really is what (laughs) you're doing. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is going to be, you're going to, this is going to look real nice for about six months. You know what I mean? And then, there's going to be some horrendous turnover and you are going to absolutely hate your life with the amount of work that you're going to have to put into onboarding every one of these new clients over and over again with just like constant turnover, you know? Yeah. It's uh, honestly, that's part of the reason why one of the biggest wins that I get from working with clients, especially on the business side of things is like just having those light bulbs go off and remind them, and I'll know immediately, especially when I do those discovery calls, like just like, hey, like, you know, are you interested in mentorship? Cool. I'll hop on a call with you. It's like, 
I know for a fact in six months if you're going to be still coaching or not. I can tell. I can tell right away. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on how you've seen kind of the industry shift in terms of the narrative around bodybuilding, because I think the functional space and the bodybuilding space used to be mutually exclusive. And now you cannot talk about one without the other. Yeah. I'm, um, I've had an interesting kind of an interesting position because there are a lot of people in the functional space that don't really deal with bodybuilders too much, or they deal with people that used maybe used to be bodybuilders. Right. And I'm, I'm bridging that gap where I'm, dealing with a lot of active competitors that also have functional health needs because all active competitors have functional health needs. So let's like, let's just clear the air on that right yeah. now, you know, because we all, we all are tipping the scales on one side or the other for long periods of time. So like, it's just inevitable. Um, but like you said, they were, they were very much kind of looked at in isolation prior and now they're starting to come together and so it's it's difficult because there's when you are a functional health coach or you're coaching that type of things there's a lot of different you know personality types that you're dealing with and there's issues within lifestyle clients and there's issues within the bodybuilding population that overlap and are and are also at the same time extremely different because uh, you know, physiologically, these things function the same way. So for example, if you have Mrs. Smith, who has a history of doing all these fad diets and eating 500 calories, and then falling off the wagon and binging, you know, she still has a pretty harsh dieting history, right? In all fairness, but if you have, you know, client Mrs. Smith, who's a figure competitor, who's prepped and not taken long enough breaks and prepped and not, you know, on paper, it's it's not a whole lot different, and except for the figure competitors probably been leaner, maybe use performance enhancing drugs, you know, right. things like that. But where the huge difference lies is in personality. So on one side, lifestyle client, you're having difficulty with buy-in because it's requiring lifestyle changes. You're breaking a lot of those old habits in terms of realizing, you know, sustainability and, you know, uh, they prioritize things differently as well. I used this example on a call yesterday with a client said, if I had a, if I had to make a doctor's appointment and I train at 4 PM every day, I'm like, well, I train at 4 PM. I'm going to have to figure out another time to make a doctor's appointment because I train right. the, the lifestyle clients. Like I made a doctor's appointment at 4 PM. Now I have to figure out when I'm going to train. Right. So yes. like yeah, yeah. we are building, right. You see what I'm saying? Like we are building <clears throat> We are building our routine and our lifestyle around fitness and our health, which we prioritize. Right. Whereas a lifestyle client, like this is a burden for them, man. Like they, when they come in, they don't want to do this stuff. Yep. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a level of resistance there because like it's just not comfortable for them and they, they prioritize it differently and they may never prioritize it the same. So I think that a lot of people that are bodybuilders, that are functional health coaches, they have, they struggle with that because they're like, well, why are you not like me? You know, why do you not just prioritize it and, and do it like I do it? Why is this not important to you? Right. But it's never been important to them. And it's, it's different. And you that's know? why they're, that's why they're in this position. And consequently, probably the same reason that bodybuilder or figure competitor 
is in the position that they're in is because they prioritize that thing too much. And exactly. So now on that side, we're also having to break habits. So I talked earlier about me being the cleanup guy. Well, I still do a lot of, I'm still often the cleanup guy. So of course, if I'm, you know, if I'm like third or fourth coach in line where it's like, finally they get to the breaking point and they've had 10 people say, go to Austin. I'm like, all right, here we go. You know what I mean? So, okay. I'm breaking this down. You have this bad experience, this bad experience, this bad experience. Now I, now I'm going to come in and tell you to do all these things different. And I'm just going to expect you to be like, okay, this is super comfortable. Like, let's go, you know, yeah, because true. it's just, it's really uncomfortable. So, you know, there it's difficult. It's difficult on both sides to get buy-in. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm drawing a parallel now in the, in the training space where, you know, I've been working with my coach, Daniel and Martina for over a year now. One of the things that we speak about often and and uh, kind of troubleshoot is, you know, powerlifters, strength athletes, bodybuilders have a lot of the same injuries that normal people have, you know, knee pain, back pain, whatever. But the same tools that you would use on a normal person don't work on a big person whether it be because of their resting neural tone, whether it be just because of the sheer amount of muscle mass that they have or their anthropometrics or whatever it might be, or just their ability to, to output force. I'm wondering how, you know, is there a parallel to be drawn in the functional space where like there are things that you can do with gen pop people that you just can't do with strength athletes? Well, I mean, the biggest, the biggest difference is that chances are, the athlete is going to want to go back and do the thing that hurt them in the first place. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So now, you know, so now we have to treat those situations as, all right, we fix it. What does our maintenance look like and how do we do our best to prevent it? Or I really hope you stay with me on the next time that you prep so we can at least have a more successful post-show period and do things differently because chances are, they're going to want to do it again. And yeah. we just need to do it better. And we need to make sure that we have a better plan in place, you know, recovery plan in place afterwards, because it doesn't matter if you are prepping for a show, there's going to be some level of negative adaptation, regardless of what <laughs> position you can go into it in the perfect position. And inevitably you're going to be a, kind of screwed up at the end. It's just how it is. You know, yeah, like I can't. I don't know, I've had people like, I want to prep with you because you know, you do these things. I'm like, dude, I can't. <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here. Yeah, I, if you want me to get you in like shredded in shape, some bad things are gonna happen. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now the difference between me and maybe the other person is that I know how to fix them a lot quicker and get things back on track a lot quicker afterwards. Okay, so dude, that's exactly where I want. I'm glad you took it in that direction because it's exactly a conversation I had with Olivia in that, you know, so I like again, Austin is Olivia's coach. And one of the one of the th reasons why I kind of said that she should work with you is like she's an otherwise healthy woman. She also has a very resilient um, you know, ability to rebound after a show, get her cycle back, all that stuff. But it's the confidence that you have in your coach that 
if something should go wrong, could your coach help you? Yeah. And I think in a lot of instances, it's, oh, that coach gets, gets people in great shape. Yeah, but what about after that? Or what about show to show year to year? Is that person still coaching people that continue to enjoy the process of competing, can do it over and over again without these deleterious health effects? Yeah, the reality, the reality of competitors, especially, I would say at all levels, but even on, you know, even genetically, people that are above average to really good genetics, the one thing, the limitation is their, their shelf life limits them before they ever get close to their potential. You know, they, they burn out or they have too many issues they can't continue on or they have such a disgust and disdain towards the process because they're so sick of feeling, you know, having these problems over and over again. So, and you see it in females so often there are, I couldn't tell you how many women could be a lot better and men too could be a lot better if they had just a better plan in terms of maintaining their body systems in during prep off season, like all that stuff, because I, there's like, there's not a separation there. It's not like, it's not like there's like contest prep. And then there's this other stuff. It's like, you always have these physiological functions going on all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's never, these things are never, never separated. So why would we not want to optimize them at least different, you know, during different phases of that time to continue to make progress in it's a hard sell for me. So, you know, luckily now I've kind of gotten the momentum where I have these like IFBB pro level, you know, male bodybuilders and females that want to work with me because they're seeing the value. But before dude, they didn't want anything to do with it because they're like this, this guy, you know, he's the, does the functional health, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, guys, you will be better. I'm telling you, you will be better. If you do these things, a body that, you know, a body that functions better, responds better. Like, I don't care what anyone says, you know? And, and I mean, I can speak from experience and say, like, especially speaking about the dysfunction and stuff like that. Like, I love my experience with bodybuilding and I'm kind of disappointed. It took me, you know, better part of 18 years to decide to compete of training and competing before I decided to do bodybuilding. Big fear of mine is like still working on my gut health issues. It's getting better, but it's like not it's not solved yet. And the last thing I want to do is cause them again, but I would love to prep. You know what I mean? I fucking loved prep. Yeah. But I know that if I'm going to get super lean, I'm not going to sleep and I'm probably going to have terrible digestion. So it's like, yeah, is, is, yeah. is that worth it? It's um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And it's, and that's also, you know, that's also a conversation with people at some point, like what is the like managing expectations? You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's, that's important. That's been, and that's a whole nother separate conversation of, I can't even tell you how many people probably didn't work with me because I was honest with them and just told them the truth. But that's, that's ethics, that's integrity. And to me, that's, that speaks to the quality of individual that you are. Cause I'm not like, I'm the same way. Like I've, I've done it on my own. I've said no to working with people. I probably said no to working with more people than I've said yes to. And it all comes down to, is this someone who I want to attach my name to? I think, I think that's a big issue in, in this industry, especially with, you know, in the younger, like if we're talking to younger coaches as these you know, elder statesmen to say, 
maybe there's a very famous person who comes and says, Hey, I want, I want to, I want to be your client, but you know that that person doesn't stand for the things that you stand for. Maybe they, they conduct themselves publicly in a way that you're not comfortable doing or not comfortable being associated with. You don't have an obligation to say yes to everyone who walks in the door. Yeah. And that scarcity mindset, like, did maybe that's a question for you. Like, did you ever have that mindset of like, man, I can't say no to clients. Cause like, I got to put food on the table. I mean, early on, that's, it's tough, right? Because you don't have, you definitely don't have the luxury of a surplus of inquiries, mm -hmm. right? So I think, I think the question becomes, if you're going to say no to people, like on what grounds, like what, what would, if you're early on and you need the money, what would be what would be so negative that you would have to say no to it? And to your point, there were people early on where I did not feel, I knew that they would be a difficult client, but I, I felt that they wouldn't tarnish my reputation necessarily Yeah, because being a difficult client doesn't necessarily mean it, it goes against anything ethically with me. Right. Right. But there are definitely people who I thought might not be a difficult client in the, that sense but I knew that I just really didn't like, I really was like not cool with how they were as an individual um, online. And I'm like, I don't even want you to tag me. Like I I'm visioning you tagging me and me being associated with you. And, and that's carried over into a lot of things with my business. That's carried over into how I've conducted myself on social media, how I've removed myself from situations on multiple occasions. I mean, last year was a perfect example. There was a whole bunch of, whole bunch of shit happening and i'm like oh yeah. i dipped out yeah. and nope. and i'm like you know what and there's probably i probably short term i probably left some dollars on the table and some clients on the table but long term i only the only thing i did long term was continue to solidify that reputation that i built because reputation never leaves you never ever ever so, and it's one of the most important things that you can establish as a, as an individual and a human being. And I came from a blue collar family that was blue collar, hardworking and reputation was, got, you know, was king, was king. Yeah. I got that lesson really early on too. I mean, you know, my father's a first generation immigrant. He moved here from, Le moved to Canada from Lebanon and his parents came over and, you know, one thing that I always took a lot of pride in is, is in the Lebanese community, my last name carries a lot of weight. And there is nothing that I would ever do to to tarnish that. Um, now, that being said, I have someone very specific in my mind who I know who approached me for coaching. And I was like, no, not going to happen. And he knew exactly why. And, and, as a, as a beginner coach, you might be inclined to say yes. And I can tell you that it's not the move. That scarcity mindset is not going to serve you. Uh, and I think the next, you know, within that scarcity growth mindset, does it ever cross your mind? And I know, I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Does it ever cross your mind that as you go through this mentorship and continue to educate co coaches and I mean, Ultimately, when we educate other people, the goal is that they exceed us, right? It's like move beyond me with this information. Be better than me. You ever have that thought of like, I'm creating a whole bunch of competition for myself? Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely 
thought about it and I'm, and it's happened. I mean, I've seen it, I've seen it happen, but I think that, I think that a, the, the one, th okay. So there's one thing that I feel that I can do that no one else that I'm educating will be able to surpass me on at least that I, at least not in, until I decide to hang it up. Okay. And that is the sheer amount of exposure to cases and situations that I get is literally like mind numbing. And so where, so that becomes an advantage to me because from an application standpoint, yes, there are going to be people that have the knowledge of physiology and biology and all these things that I do hundred percent. Totally. Because especially if they work with me long enough, mm -hmm. right. But I'm getting, I'm seeing all of their clients, all of my clients, all of 30 other people's clients, all these consultations, like just the, just the sheer amount of like wisdom that you are digesting from these things is that's hard to surpass, I believe at a point. I think so too. And and I mean, you mentioned it at the, the in the, uh, I forget what part of our conversation, but you alluded to it in that you know, you got really fed up with what was going on in the industry. So you just decided to start being better. And yeah. in, in that, in that quest, it's like, okay, the, the solution to a bad idea is a better idea. So I'm just going to put good out into the world and I'm going to keep bringing up these other coaches so that the industry can be directed in a way that I am happy with and proud of. So that when I do step away, I'm leaving it in a better place than I found it. And that to me, that that's my, my mindset about it is like the more people that I educate to be better coaches, the more people that they will bring into the industry and the more the industry will come up. So yeah. rising tide raises all boats type of idea. Yep. And it only, it only helps me too, because mm -hmm. the more, the more people, you know, the more people that, the more clients and consumers that are going to be attracted to that type of coaching only helps me at the end of the day. It's exactly. we have, cause the thing is we have, we have, you know, coaches that are becoming educated and better, but we have a consumer problem just as much as we have a coaching problem. I mean, consumers are so confused. I mean, I think that's our biggest problem. Yeah. I mean, I would totally agree with you. I think that our biggest problem is confusion of the consumer and it's a no fault of their own. It's not their fault necessarily. Fault. Yes. Um, that's a post. That's actually a post that I had have scheduled for a couple of days from now. That'll drop about just about, you know, this idea of like functional health. Are we seeing more functional health issues than we had before? And then the answer is no. The answer is that our awareness has risen and therefore our, you know, realization of these issues has risen. But also we have a lot of people that, are convincing people that they're sick and that there's all these things wrong with them and confusing people. And because it's, and I don't, and you know what, like, I don't think it's all intentional. I think there are probably a lot of people that do use it as a marketing thing to take advantage of people. I think yeah. it probably happens, yeah. but I don't think that's everyone. I'm not, I don't see that bad in every, you know what I mean? Like I don't see that evil in everyone, but, mm -hmm. but I do definitely think that, the one thing we're really missing on so far is not education. It's on our, our message is not 
quite conveyed correctly yet. Yeah. In, you know, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, I hopped on a, a podcast with Jeff Black earlier today and he said, you know, for 30 days, he made a point to speak to some random person about what he did. And that's actually homework that I give some of my mentees. Like, hey, whenever the barista at Starbucks asks you how your day is, be really excited about your job and tell them what you do. And so he went and did that to random people. And he's like, not a single person could tell me what functional health was. Right. Not a single person had any realistic idea what an online coach was. And not a single person actually knew unequivocally what a personal trainer's job scope was. Right. I'm like, that's a fucking problem. Right. <laughs> and and we continue to muddy the waters with these black and white statements, these, you know, good, good, bad, green check mark, red X. And, you know, I know that you and I resonate on the fact that there is no good and bad. There's just application and context. But that's not sexy and that doesn't sell. And again, that's not why that's why I am not going to be a great influencer because I refuse to pull that pull that lever. Yeah. And that's and that's a different, you know, that's a decision you have to make. You know, I get asked, can I actually be successful, build a good business, support my family, make a good income without act without acting like that? Yes. And the answer is absolutely yes, but the, the, the reality is that it's going to take longer and it's going to be, and there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of instances where you're going to be very tempted. There's going to be a lot of instances where you're going to be very tempted to sway from those, those morals and those ethics. And unfortunately, I know I have people that I started out with that some are still around and they did and they swayed and they took a different path you know what i mean and i'm i'm very keen on like i love watching people i love observing and like that's why like i bust your balls about your youtube channel but i've watched almost every single one of those videos and because the content is phenomenal and it, it took you however many years to get to where you are right now i guarantee you that you could have made more money early on had you taken that other path, but you, I guarantee you as well that you would not be in the position of authority that you are now because your reputation would be shit. hundred percent. And I know that. And that's what I, I had to reinforce that. There was a lot of internal battles within that process where I'm like, am I doing something? Like, what am I doing wrong? Should I just, should I be doing that? You know, should, is that how I'm supposed to act? Am I, because I definitely had people along the way is like, yeah, you just need to market yourself that way. And I'm like, I don't know, man. That doesn't feel right to me. I'm trying, I'm trying really hard to look at social media like a game. So you've you'll probably you've probably noticed a little bit of a pivot in the type of content I post the last like week or sure. two. And it's hilarious the amount of traction that these types of posts are getting. The challenge that I've made to myself is I'm not compromising my method, my, my message or my ethics when I make these posts. There's still going to be context involved and I'm going to do it morally. But I think the 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 bridge between the two, between the polarizing figure and the one that has morals, ethics, context, whatever, is the ability to speak to the person that you want to speak to, to clearly Absolutely. identify that ideal client. And I look to people like um, you know, one of my mentees, her name is Meryl. She does a fantastic job. Uh, Olivia does a fantastic job. 
and just taking Olivia as an example, like and this is for the, the coaches who are listening. Every post that Liv makes is directed to the younger female who wants to train hard and be jacked. And she doesn't have to be polarizing when she does that because she knows exactly what that person's thinking and wants to know because she's thinking and wants to know those same things. Yeah. So she just talks to herself. Yep. And what do you think half of my, half of the written posts I make are literally just me thinking out loud and they're the most popular one. You know, they're the most popular posts, problems within the industry, my frustrations, my, my thoughts, you know, something I talked about with someone because chances are there's thousands of other people that are, are thinking the same thing or have run into the same thing. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to create a, create a piece of content that is just, you know, that is just flashy. It's just that because yes, that will, that will definitely give me some, you know, some views in a sense, but my ROI on that's not great. You know, that's, that's another thing. So again, young coaches listening, it's define your ROI, define what it is that you actually are looking to get out of whatever it is that you're doing. So if you're acquiring a client, what's your ROI? Because I can tell you right now, I have clients who have spent over $20,000 in their lifetime with me. That's a great ROI. And it costs me $0 to acquire because I provide a great service. They love it. They stay with me. If your ROI on a client is, you know, that your retention rate six months, then you're going to be pretty fucking buried into the ground with work trying to acquire clients. And so if your goal of acquiring clients on social media is to acquire clients that stay with you for a really long time and resonate with you, well, then you don't have to put out the volume of, uh, you have to put out the volume of content you have to put out to get that type of client. So how much content should you be putting out? Enough. Are you going to know if it's enough? Try a lot, try a little, see what your acquisition rate is and go with that. See who looks at, you know, who's looking at your stuff. Are they, are they react, you know, are they actually corresponding with you? Are they messaging you? It's not always like, it's not always as simple as, it's not always as simple as a comment. Like do people comment on my stuff and have never spent a dollar with me. Yeah, okay. Exactly. But, but also if I put out something good, I may get, if I get, if I put out a good post that really hits hard and I get two clients out of it. That's thousands of dollars on the back end. You know what I mean? Thousands of dollars. For free. Right. So yeah, I could I could definitely I could definitely probably there like there's funny things and some some goofy shit that I that I'm kind of like pushing myself to do a little bit more of because it is my personality and I enjoy it. Right, exactly. But I'm also not going to just be unauthentic. I this is something that I I struggle with, and I, I'm curious if you struggle with it too. Is like I come off as this like very serious person. It, yeah. Whenever I speak in like educational terms, <clears throat> like or in mentorship, or in most cases, and, and I, I was kind of offended when Liv told me the other day that I wasn't funny. And she's like, "You're just really serious." I'm like. <laughs> But I'm funny. She's like, yeah, but even when you're funny, you're serious. And it's hard to tell when you're joking, when you're not joking. So I've been trying to get more of my personality out into social media and like do that sort of thing. Like, do you ever struggle with that? 
Because like whenever I've heard you speak on podcasts, everyone always has you talk X's and O's. You can't you Yeah. can't be personable talking X's and O's. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. I one of the best things I did this year was just put out more personal stuff. To Do be you honest, just when you do your just lives, are you like more relaxed? Yeah, especially especially with if I'm talking to like my team with my guys Yep. and we're doing a live for sure. We're really relaxed. We shoot the shit. We, you know, maybe talk shit about some people occasionally, you know. No names, no names. But but yeah. It depends on, I think it depends on the, the environment who I'm talking to. You have to, when you're, when you're me, you got to wear a lot of faces, you know what I mean? Because I've got, I've got my hands in a lot of different uh, Same. pots. Yeah. Last question about business that I think is, is an interesting topic. So you have, for the majority of your career, you have been your business. And now adding multiple coaches to the point where IMH is its own entity now, and you are a cog in the wheel. Do you have a plan for, or have you, have you started planning for the transition of you no longer being the only face of IMH? So we're the coaches that I have now, that's already something that we are pushing for because Awesome. the one thing, the one thing that I don't, and, and that I encourage, you know, that I've always encouraged the coaches that have teams under them is the biggest gripe that I hear is with assistant coaches is that they're just there. Mm hmm. They're just there. They're just like, they're, they're not really anything other than, you know, dumping some clients on once in a while, but they're just there. And so the, one of the reasons that I don't have, you know, 10 coaches on my team is because the two coaches that I have are really good. Yeah. They're really good. And I mean, I would say that to anyone listening, like I would give them any case without hesitation. They are both people that, you know, full rosters make a great income. Like, you know, they are good. So I don't have, and that's not to say that I have anything against this, but I've just haven't hired people that were, baseline that I, you know, that I was building up from the beginning. It's like, I want to be able to go on, you know, we're hosting a free workshop soon. I want those guys on there. I want them talking as much as I'm talking. I want them contributing. I bring in, so I've had both of them in my, my group mentorships and let them, you know, talk and chime in and stuff because they're good. So, so we are all cumulatively awesome. You know what I mean? And so, and, and when it comes time to bring on another person and I already have people in mind, I'm going to bring on someone else. That's good. But, but in order to do that, the thing is, in order to do that, I have to be, I have to be good enough and offer enough to where someone that could easily do something on their own wants to actually be part of this team and represent this team. And that's difficult, you know? It is. And, and, You know, more and more I'm realizing that personality has to fit as well. Um, you know, we have five coaches and myself, and it's, it's it's been interesting. You know, two of the two of the coaches are coaches that I brought up from the beginning and they're still building their businesses. Um, you know, one of the coaches that we brought on, he's very well established in his business and quite frankly, he's super comfortable with where his roster is and he's just wants to keep it going. I've got Liv, who's just con continuing to level up over and over again. And I have another coach who brought in a roster, but he was working part-time and now he's transitioned to full-time. And each person has their different needs, their different 
assessments of, of what their contributions to the team are supposed to be. And then I'm over here with this set list of expectations and what's, you know, so being a manager of people is something that is, is challenging, but if you can curate the team in a way where you don't have to manage anyone and they're all just self-sufficient, like that's, that's the goat move. Yeah, that's it. Cause, cause yeah, realistically I could spread it. I could spread it out to six or eight coaches. We could have, you know, slightly smaller rosters for everyone and stuff. And that's definitely a business model that works and there's nothing wrong with it, depending on what you're trying to do. Um, I never, I've definitely have allocated out a lot more in the last two years than I've ever in my entire life. I'm just delegating, 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 you know, giving clients, like I've been a lot more, I've been a lot more liberal with that, like giving people tasks and doing that stuff, but I'm never going to be in a place where I'm doing zero coaching because I don't want to. Same. And that's fine. Do I need to, is, do I need to have a hundred clients? No. Do I, can I definitely choose if I want to do more mentorship or more coaching for sure. But, but ultimately I just want people that I trust and I don't have to worry about them. You know what I mean? Why are you selling your Corvette? <laughs> I'm going to get another, get another car. Of course. Dude. Thing's so cool. Yeah. I want to get a cooler one though. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> Do you know which one yet? Yeah, the guy that um, the guy that actually built most of that car has another one that he another project he's working on that's kind of like my my dream Corvette. So it's another Corvette. So um, it was a, it was definitely a tough decision. That Corvette was sentimental to me because that was one of the things where I splurged and spent money, and I really worked hard for that money. You know, oh, yeah. So, but the new one will be sweet. Well, I have no doubt. Uh, what's one album that you can listen to with no skips album. So since I'm a, I was born in 1990. So I'm a nineties kid, early two thousand. So it's gotta be like new metal, some kind of new metal. It's gotta be like probably system of a down toxicity, something like that. Yeah. Okay. okay. Cause I know every song I can name that album from first to 14. I know every single song in order. How old are your training shoes? Um, the training, <laughs> I'm going to guess, let's see, two, 18, I don't know, eight to 10 years. How many pairs of cat socks do you own? At least three to, at least like half dozen, probably. I was, I was going to say three to five, but it's definitely closer to five to six. <laughs> and the last question, who's one person that you would like me to interview on this podcast with the caveats, you have to help me get them on the podcast. One person, one person. Do they need to be, do they need to be a coach, bodybuilding coach? Nope. I think you should interview – I have a media guy that's helped me out with some media stuff, and he's a young kid, and he's very passionate, and he's very good. Sure. So I think you should get him on. His name's Wilson. I'll give you his contact. Does some NFL – works with some NFL players and stuff as well. Oh, hell yeah. Awesome, dude. Man, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a very busy man, um, but it's very nice for you to come on and speak to me and – my six other audience members who listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it'll grow a little bit. 
I'm hoping it will too. We're going to starting next week and we bump into twice a week uh, podcasts. Um, and then I'm going to be doing probably two or three other YouTube videos as well. Just really want to ramp up the content creation stuff. Cause I think and then one, I find it fun. And uh, two, I think it's just a great way to get more of my messaging out there so that when I do launch more courses and do more things, there's just more eyes on, on the product. So yep. I appreciate it, man is uh, well, there'll be links to where we, people can find you in the show notes. Uh, we will not have Austin's phone number in the show notes. So don't worry. about I do have. So if you list, if you list my socials, I do have a link tree in the socials that'll have in the bio and the socials that'll have like, you know, all my stuff in it. So I have a new email list, by the way, I just started the email list. Good for you. So subscribe if you guys want news. Dude, subscribe to Austin's email list. Thank you guys Thank you. so much. Thank you, Austin. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, ring the bell for notifications, and we'll catch you on the next one.